welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm in studio here in Tucson, Arizona, for live streaming from Calvary Christian Fellowship with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. And this is, this is true. <laughs> this is the guy. This yeah. is the one. And this is the way. And of course, uh, our one of our co-pastors here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Sean Richards. Hello, sir. Also true. Yeah. Also very true. <laughs> And uh, we're grateful to be here, and we're also thankful that you have joined us. This is a weekday Bible Answer program where folks who join our live stream can ask questions about the Bible, the Christian worldview, really anything at all, as long as it's sincere and relates to the Christian faith some way, somehow. So if you're curious about comparative religions or maybe some of the central tenets of the Christian faith as to the evidence for why uh, we would say that these <clears throat> tenets are true, that they're objectively true, and so on and so forth. So if you have that uh, uh, heavily weighing on your mind and heart, uh, please join us. Please ask. Uh, we're here as seekers of truth, and we want to go wherever the evidence leads. So if there's good, strong evidence that God does not exist, then we won't shy away from it. But if there's great evidence that God does in fact exist, or that the, Jesus was a real person in history, that the New Testament gospel records have been uh, preserved and are historically reliable. We want to um, share that evidence and pursue it with you. Um, and and of course, if you have a question about the Bible that pertains to how to interpret a specific passage or how to apply it to your life or how to grow in your faith, uh, there's really no question you can't ask as long as it's, I guess I said, sincere. And there's multiple ways you can do that. You can join us on Facebook where we live stream. I will be checking the comments throughout the entire time. Uh, so if you want to leave a question, use, use the comment section to do that. We also simultaneously live stream to YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and search for A Reason for Hope, you'll find us there. And the URLs are up on the screen. If you want to avoid social media altogether, you can also just go to our website. That's CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. And what you can do is you can just uh, go to our webpage and hit that Watch Live tab there. And not only can you watch the live stream, but there is a chat box where you can leave questions and even a prayer button. So if you have something that's uh, just weighing heavy on your life and you would like some fellow believers to gather around you in prayer, uh, spiritually gather around you in prayer, then take advantage of that. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world and there's a lot of challenges. So we want to be there for each other. That's part of the great uh, blessing of being part of the body of Christ. <laughs> Also, want to encourage you to take advantage of using our app. We have a really cool Bible app. It's got our calendar of events, past messages, series that we've taught through, a uh, great way to create and be a part of chat groups. And it's got a nifty digital Bible where you can leave notes and highlight texts and really just keep a record of your study through God's Word. So I'd encourage you to download that from the Apple or Google Play Store. We also have channels on the Amazon Fire and Roku products, so if you want to watch one of our sermons, uh, one of our services, I'm sorry, live, you can add our channel to those. So if you do a search on Roku or Amazon for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, you'll see that little red icon with the white dove, then you know that's us, and you can add our channel. You can also ask questions of this program, A Reason for Hope, which again we do every weekday. Uh, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And if you want to more discreetly ask a question or just avoid social media, you can just email us directly. That's at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope 
at gmail.com. I also encourage you to follow our senior pastor on the X platform, formerly Twitter, and you can do so. His handle is at ScottR4H. That's at ScottR4H. Very entertaining and very informative <clears throat> Twitter. I, I have to say Twitter feed because that's just, it sounds right. But uh, <laughs> uh, also, you can leave a question for this program there as well, or any kind of Bible question. It doesn't even have to be during the program. You can just uh, tweet it out. Uh, Pastor Scott will see it, and we can address it uh, at the next program. Now, before we take time to get to the news of the day, as well as your questions online, we'll take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Let's do that. Uh, Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to share your word, and that's, Lord, what we want to do. We want to tell uh, your truth, your whole truth, and nothing but your truth with as little of our uh, greasy fingers getting on it as possible. Lord, we know we all have our biases. We all look at this world through different glasses, but we pray, Lord, as well for a miracle to happen, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would lead us into all truth, and uh, that it's truth that can be tested and, and truth that verifies itself through uh, the, the uh, amazing gift that you give us in your word. So, Father, lead us not only to understand what you say better, but, Lord, uh, I pray for uh, perhaps uh, those that are listening that are needing your guidance right now, needing your comfort right now, needing your encouragement. Maybe they're on the outside looking in at a relationship with you right now, and they need you in their lives. I pray that you, through your Spirit, would honor your word as it goes forth, and that lives would be changed all over the world as a result of what happens here. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do we have um, a little update before we well, head into the weekend? Well, a lot, lots going on. Uh, just a little bit of uh, housekeeping. We talked a bit about a uh, post that was sent along to me uh, from a reliable source that uh, talked about Israel uh, in on the verge of finding the hostages involved with a, a heavy... Uh, firefight uh, with Hamas operatives uh, in that regard. Turns out that that uh, information didn't pan out. It's not happening as of yet. And so we want to make sure that uh, whenever we tell you something on this broadcast, uh, indicate that it could have happened and it doesn't happen, uh, we want to make sure that uh, we are uh, accountable and uh, honest about all of that. Uh, the main thrust of what we were saying, though, uh, remains the same, and that is, uh, please be in prayer for the people of Israel right now. Be in prayer for the IDF soldiers putting their lives on the line, uh, going to extraordinary lengths to uh, not endanger the lives of these hostages instead of just using bunker-busting bombs to blow up this terrorist infrastructure. They're having to uh, go in uh, piece by piece. And this is well over 300 miles of underground tunnels, underground suites, if you will, underground warehouses, uh, all concrete reinforced uh, that uh, the Hamas terrorists have invested all of the humanitarian aid and support they've gotten over the years into building. They've essentially made this into a uh, base of operations for their avowed purpose. You read the Hamas charter of the destruction of Israel. So uh, although it's trendy and hip to say from uh, the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, what that means to a person in Palestine, quote unquote, if you want to use those terms, a Palestinian, when in reality they are uh, essentially Arabs 
Egyptians, Jordanians, uh, Syrians, Lebanese, all kind of thrown into a conglomeration. There is really no definitive uh, ethnic Palestinian people out there. Uh, but uh, when uh, they say these sort of things, what they're saying is we want to exterminate the Jews. Uh, the polite word for this kind of genocide uh, that is being thrown around today in Western circles is the idea of decolonization. Uh, boy, doesn't that sound academic and uh, arm's length. Uh, but in reality, decolonization, uh, you ask, okay, well, how do you accomplish decolonization? Well, you accomplish it by uh, killing Jews. Uh, from the river to the sea. You remove them. Uh, and uh, if you don't believe me, go online, read the 1988 uh, uh, charter that Hamas put out. Uh, they are more than upfront about what their purposes and their plans are. And if you don't believe their words, look at their deeds, look what they have done with all of the uh, resources they've received, mm -hmm. have not built, say, water purification plants uh, for their people, have not uh, increased infrastructure for them, have not uh, provided them uh, electricity. They get all of that from Israel. Uh, and then if Israel threatens to cut that off at any point, suddenly Israel's the bad guy. Uh, well, there you go. So uh, when we hear words like decolonization being thrown around, it's a way of kind of hand-waving. It's, well, oh, look over here, a squirrel, uh, and uh, they want to change the subject. That, that is going on. Uh, I, for my part, when I get in these conversations, uh, just remain laser focused on what part of massacring 1,400 innocent people do you support? Do you really support that? Do you support the brutal rapes and the torture and the evisceration of children that went on along this line? Uh, pretty fascinating stuff indeed. You know, uh, another very uh, interesting thing that uh, that has come out of all of this is this idea that, well, it's just the Hamas guerrillas that are bad, that are off. Uh, these are just fanatics, but the average Palestinian is uh, just wanting to live their life and be at peace. Well, a uh, poll uh, that was released today of the Palestinian people itself showed well over a 67% uh, support of the mm. invasion uh, that took place of Israel by the Hamas guerrilla, 67%. In fact, uh, when you break down all of the statistics, only 5% of those surveyed among Palestinians were, uh, uh, say, supportive but unsure of the tactic. That was as close as they would come to that, uh, having drawing lines about that sort of thing. Only 2% of those surveyed said, no, Hamas was wrong to do what they did. Wow. So you're talking about, uh, I mean, generously, 93% uh, of Palestinians supporting exactly what went on there. And there's a reason for that. Uh, what we have to understand is this is not a physical war. Uh, the physical war is the manifestation of a far deeper spiritual war. Mm. Uh, those who say, for instance, look up to a 7th century warlord uh, as the perfect human being, and they want to emulate him, a warlord who at the Battle of the Trench, and Sean, you can correct me if I'm wrong statistically here, claimed and uh, Muslim history ratifies, uh, killed over 600 uh, to 800 Jews himself by beheading in one day. Is that correct? 
That's what the reports say. Yeah. So that is the perfect man. That's who you want to emulate. And when you begin to see even the documents that the Palestinians, not just in Gaza, but also in the so-called West Bank, these so-called occupied territories, put out these interviews with children where they uh, adamantly say they want to grow up and kill Jews. They adamantly want to be a martyr or die in jihad. Well, what we realize here, and this is something that we in the West have a hard time accepting and understanding, is that what we're dealing with is a spiritual war here. And, uh, you know, I've said this, I've caught some flack from it from a lot of people online, but there will be no peace for the Palestinian people until they reconcile themselves to God through the Prince of Peace, that is Jesus himself, not putting their faith and trust in someone like Muhammad, who uh, in essence has led them, his teachings have led them into this place of real destruction. And so what we need to be doing is praying uh, for the Palestinian people. Uh, if we have contact with people who are followers of Islam, we need to be conversant enough in Islam to be able to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to them in a way that is meaningful to them. And it's not really that difficult to do. Um, Sean, who's kind of our go-to guy on Islam, if there's somebody in our audience that wants to uh, become more adept at being able to share their faith effectively with a Muslim, uh, what sources would you recommend? Well, if you prefer listening to people online, you wouldn't go too far wrong in a confrontational manner with three names, uh, David Wood, Sam Shamoon, and, um, excuse me, Jay Smith. I almost said James White. That would be for Mormons. Uh, when it comes to understanding the arguments, those are fantastic resources. David Wood, definitely a man after my own heart, has uh, turned sarcasm and smarminess into an art form. Sam Shamoon uh, has used his lack of a temper as something that God can, in fact, use to be confrontational in a culture that respects emotion more than reason. And fortunately, he brings both. And Jay Smith finds a good balance between the two in taking a very academic approach, but that's not something that Muslims will respect. And understanding how to talk to and about things pertaining to Islam with Muslims, you first need to understand three things. First, they don't look at their Bibles the same way that, or they don't look at their Quran the same way we look at our Bibles. They would look at their Quran the same way we would look at Jesus himself. And if you're going to engage with them, you need to understand that they don't treat it as something to learn, they treat it as a manifestation of Allah to them. And so any, and that's why they throw an eight-day fit when they hear about Quran burnings and desecrations and so forth. Also, I recommend it if they start to threaten you, because there's passages in the Quran that command them, if they're going to do things that will cause Allah and his messenger to be insulted, cease from that. But that's another topic. When we're discussing these things with them, they don't do it to learn things about Islam. They do it to recite. It is a good deed that they try to accumulate, according to the Hadith literature, their baraka and their bidda, if it outweighs the good and bad deeds in the records. That's the only reason they study and memorize the Quran in the first place. So if you call them to account on the verses they're supposed to be considering sources of doctrine, you don't necessarily need to think they're lying to you. That's not how they approach scripture. But if you challenge them on what their imams are telling them, their perception of Islam, it needs to start 
start with questions. And the best way to phrase those questions would be from those resources. David Wood, Sam Shamoon, and Jay Smith. Those are people that I have come to consider worthy of trust on issues of Islam. If they get off into other areas, then take it with a grain of salt. But if you need to ask the pointed questions regarding especially, was Jesus crucified and therefore rose from the dead? That's what they're going to challenge according to Surah 4157. Is God, in fact, a trinity? Is that something that's been demonstrated throughout the scripture? And then, of course, has the Bible been changed? And you can use their own Quran to show that they can't hold that position, regardless of how much and how often TikTok tells them to say it. Yeah, and uh, speaking of TikTok, another uh, interesting development. We're really talking about, yesterday we gave you a, a pretty good overview of what's happening militarily in that area, and those things could proceed apace. But you know, as we mentioned, there's a deeper spiritual battle that is going on, a battle for the hearts and minds of people. And it's not just, say, the, the opinions of, uh, say, the Palestinian people about Israel and what Hamas did. Uh, it's also spilling over into uh, our Western culture as well. Rolling Stone magazine published a story today about a trend on TikTok to post videos uh, about Osama bin Laden's letter to America. Uh, before 9-11 happened, uh, Osama bin Laden wrote a letter explaining uh, why uh, he was a dead-set enemy of the United States. And uh, a uh, TikTok user by the name of Lynette Adkins uh, posted a, a, on the platform on Tuesday uh, saying this, I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read, it's literally two pages, go read a letter to America. Uh, come back here and let me know what you think, because I feel like I'm going through an existential crisis right now, and a lot of people are, so I just need someone else to be feeling this too. Commentators felt similarly awestruck by the document. Just read it. My eyes have been opened. Read our entire existence for filth, and he did not miss at another one of bin Laden's criticisms of the United States. Uh, the clip went viral with other young TikTokers sharing the letter approvingly, encouraging followers to read it. We've been lied to our entire lives. I remember people cheering when Osama was found and killed, said a 25-year-old user who posted the letter in full. I was a child and it confused me. It still confuses me today. The world deserves better than what this country has done to them. Well, once again, uh, what was the content of Osama bin Laden's letter to America? Well, here's uh, a section of it that I think can open our eyes a bit. He, uh, Osama bin Laden wrote this. Why are we fighting and opposing you? The answer is very simple. Because you attacked us and continue to attack us. You attacked us in Palestine. Palestine, which has sunk under military occupation for more than 80 years. The British handed over Palestine with your help and your support to the Jews who have occupied it for more than 50 years, years overflowing with oppression, tyranny, crimes, killing, expulsion, destruction, and devastation. The creation and continuation of Israel is one of the greatest crimes, and you are the leader of its criminals. Of course, there is no need to explain and prove the degree of American support for Israel. The creation of Israel is a crime which must be erased. Each and every person whose hands have become polluted in the contribution towards this crime must pay its price and pay for it, heavily. Now, that last line is where it gets very interesting because bin Laden goes on to say in this letter that because the United States is a democratic form of government, every person who voted for its leaders who support Israel are equally culpable for crimes against the Muslim people, 
and should pay the ultimate price for these crimes, meaning that the uh, assault on civilians that took place on 9-11 was completely justified in this madman's mind uh, because of United States policy towards Israel. Uh, interestingly, this whole thing got started when the Guardian newspaper uh, in Great Britain uh, published the letter and took it down because people in TikTok were dis discussing how it correctly blamed America for its role in ethnic cleansing of Palestine by arming Israel. The document was there for 20 plus years, but they removed it today. Uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating uh, to hear about this. And the spin is already starting on this. Well, really, this was no big deal. And it wasn't that. over 14 million uh, TikTok followers have viewed a letter to America and made comments upon it. It is trending uh, in, in a very, very strong way. Uh, John Sexton, writing at the Hot Air website, had an interesting observation that I think sums all this up uh, rather nicely. He said, this is not something I had on my bingo card for 2023. How is it even possible there are suddenly lots of people who decided Osama bin Laden was right and implicitly that the Hamas attack on Israel and even 9-11 were justified? I'm pretty certain most of these people are on the left, but even for the left, this is a new low. Well, it's not just the left. There's a big controversy brewing on the right over a commentator called named Candace Owens. Uh, and she and Tucker Carlson, who pretty much everybody knows who's online, uh, have just taken a sort of a ah, blasé. Well, you know, we've got our problems here in the United States. Why should we be involved with this uh, situation in Israel. Well, Ben Shapiro, who was Candace Owens' boss, I guess her employer, uh, was very offended by these remarks uh, as a Jewish person. And this got into a big hoo-ha. Well, you know, looking into uh, some of Candace Owens' comments, particularly about Israel, uh, I just wanted to find out uh, what in the world was going on with all this, was really a troubling thing for me personally, because in one interview, uh, she said that her eyes were really open when she went to Jerusalem and saw the Arab quarter. Uh, she referred to the Arab quarters of Jerusalem where uh, Muslims are forced to live. They can't live anywhere else. They're forced to live in these Arab uh, quarters. Well, um, you know, hearkening back to one of the eye-opening moments that I have had as far as cable news and the mass media is concerned, I can remember watching uh, the Fox News Channel, one of their famous commentators, opining, uh, declaring with great certainty, that everyone knows that the earliest gospel accounts of the life of Jesus were written hundreds of years after the fact. Now, that was an eye-opener for me personally, because here I am sitting there listening to this fellow who is purportedly an, uh, an expert, uh, purportedly has a huge staff of people, who can vet and uh, question maybe the things that are a bit inaccurate. And when I heard that, I was like, this fellow has not heard of the Ryland's Fragment of John, which dates to no later than 120 AD, and most people believe dates much earlier than that, even uh, liberal scholars, uh, you know, again, or less than 30 years after the document was written. Uh, so, you know, at that moment, I had a real eye-opener because I thought, you know, I don't know about geopolitics. I don't know everything that goes on. 
I don't know uh, about economy. I don't know about astronomy, as Bob Dylan once sang. Uh, but I do know something about the, the reliability of scriptures based upon manuscript evidence. And here was this guy who was strongly and unapologetically saying something that was verifiably false. Now, at that moment, I had, to use the term we see in the article, an existential crisis, where I had to realize something. If I can't trust these people to tell me the truth on something that I know about, why would I trust these people to inform me about subjects and events in the world that I don't know about? Mm -hmm. So uh, from then on, I've tried not to become completely skeptical of anything that has ever said. But uh, boy, the old Russian proverb really fits, trust but verify. Mm. You know, if your discernometer goes off in one of these things, then that needs to happen. So someone like Candace Owen throwing around this idea that there is a uh, Arab quarters, plural, in Israel. She said she's been there and that's how she knows. Apparently she wasn't paying much attention to the tour guide. And she, she commented that I thought this was the bastion of freedom, but it's not. She basically... Yeah accuse Israel of being the opposite of the bastion of freedom. Segregating these poor people into this one section of Jerusalem. Well, it's self-segregation yeah. if you want to use that. The look on the host's face was classic as he corrected her going, no, that just means like Chinatown, Little China, you know, in San Francisco or something like that. It's just... How could the, <laughs> how could the United States oppress the Chinese people by making it they only live in Chinatown? It yeah. says China. So, and I guess my point is, uh, and Sarcasm, some of you who are watching this program uh, may fall into the trap of thinking that because mm. someone presents themselves as being politically conservative, they are therefore right on spiritually. No, not necessarily the case at all. So, you know, we've got to have an open Bible. We've got to be Bereans. Mm -hmm. Acts 17.11 says that the Bereans were more noble-minded than those at yeah. Thessalonica, for they received the word, God's word, with eagerness and searched the scriptures daily to find out if these things were really so. Well, mm -hmm. what things? The things that even the Apostle Paul was telling yeah. them were really so. So we've got to be very, very careful because it really is a battle for hearts and minds. And, you know, these people, uh, after uh, seeing, uh, yeah, after reading Osama bin Laden's letter to America saying that this is something that's opened their eyes and this is something that is uh, really true, well, you know, I, I, I hate to uh, uh, go down the realm of sarcasm, but uh, one internet uh, blogger, Iowa Hawk uh, blog, uh, said it this way. If you kids think bin Laden made some good points, wait till I tell you about a vegetarian former art student with an ironic mustache whose impassioned manifesto about the Zionist oppression of his people sparked a worldwide movement. <laughs> so, referring to Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for those keeping score at home. And speaking of ethnic cleansers and Nazis, if you want to know where this motivation to exterminate the Jews is coming from on the Palestinian side, look no further than their holy book, the Quran. In Surah 2, 191, uh, I'll start in 190 and then give you a little bit of context because it's not organized in any fashion. Engage in war, wage jihad, for the sake of Allah against those who engage in war against you, and do not transgress, surely Allah does not love the transgressors. Here's the point. And kill them wherever you find them, and get them out from where they got you out, 
and sedition or persecution is worse than killing. Now, what's the killing that's being brought up there that is being compared to persecution, and what brought it up? Well, what in a sense happened, and I mean this historically in that sense, what actually happened, was that when Muhammad started persecuting the uh, the pagans in Mecca, and they finally got tired of him and started threatening his life, his uncle covered him and made it so that he could take what was called the Hijra, the pilgrimage to Yathrib, which is called Medina today. Uh, he then... Uh, isolated, uh, marginalized, persecuted, and eventually drove out the Jews from living there, but that's uh, neither here nor there. As the Meccans were, of course, on a regular list of grudges for Muhammad and his very, very short memory, he started leading raids against the caravans that were their sole source of livelihood, and the Meccans never retaliated. When they launched their seventh raid, they killed some people and stole the goods that were in that caravan, and it was, of course, at a time of year when there was a universal agreement not to fight. So people were coming to Muhammad and saying, what are we going to do? We murdered a guy when it was... Well, during a ceasefire. Sound familiar? Yeah. And Muhammad said, oh, I'm giving a revelation from Allah. So he turned bright red. He said he heard bells. He'd start frothing at the mouth and twitching on the ground and stuff. And then he'd recite, I'm not kidding, uh, that persecution is worse than killing. That you have full permission to drive them out from whence they drove you out. And that's the mindset of the Palestinian. Now, again, just like Muhammad fudged history and said, oh, well, they drove us out. No, you persecuted them, and then you were given an opportunity to leave. But the point was, the Palestinians view themselves the same position that their prophet was. They voluntarily left the homes, the territories, the farmlands, the properties that they had in Israel during the 1948 and again in the 67 war in order to fall in line with the messages that were coming to them from Jordan and the other nations that were planning on invading, saying, we're going to exterminate everyone. We're going to drive Israel into the sea when all of the Jews are cleansed from the land. You can read this in the newspapers that were available at this time. I'd also recommend History of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS and the Palestinian Delusion, written by Robert Spencer. And when the land has been cleansed, then you can just come back and take all the property. Well, if you remember history, unlike Muhammad, they didn't win. And now all of the Muslims that had left the land to make room for their armies suddenly had to come back into it, and the land was, or the Israelis were looking at that and going, we're not letting you in, you were terrorist sympathizers. And so this whole escapade started. The KGB got involved, Yasser Arafat got his uh, passport and his, uh, I guess, birth certificate redrafted in Moscow, because that's how things work, and thus the Palestinian identity victimizing them was created. So when we're talking about this, it's with Surah 2, 191 in mind. They believe that they were driven out, which they weren't, and that they are to drive the Hebrews out. It is a retaliatory and revenge-based mindset because all of the world is to be for Allah. And especially the victory-based mindset and truth for religion, if they aren't achieving victory, if they aren't conquering the world, gathering slaves, and dominating the world in the name of Islam, there's two options. Either Islam is wrong or not doing it right. 
And so the mindset of the terrorist is if we're more like Muhammad in our mindset, as the Quran says, he's the perfect man, mm. and in him you have an excellent example. The more that they behave like ISIS, which they've been compared to on secular news agencies as much as religious ones, then they believe that Allah will start blessing the Ummah again. That's why you saw worldwide <clears throat> celebration after a successful yeah. terrorist attack. Why? Because they think Oh, we're genuine now. Allah's blessing us again. We're dominating the Jews, as the Quran tells us we will in Surah 928 through 30. That's the reason why. They revise history, victimize themselves, and as we talked about yesterday, use terror tactics in accordance with Surah 860 in order to see these things through, as Allah stated, and as Muhammad himself is quoted in Sahih bukhari saying, unlike any other prophet in history, I have been made victorious with terror. Yeah, and if you think they're going to stop after they attempt to continue continuing to attempt to expel every Jew from the land of Israel. What do they wait till they show up at your doorstep? <laughs> well, a Hamas spokesman was uh, quoted on air saying, "Oh no, we aren't content just to take back Israel. We will not be content until every trace of Judaism and Christianity is eradicated from the planet." Yep, there you go. Sir, 930. They, if people tell you who they are, <laughs> believe them. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, critical issues, and especially when it comes to existential crisis, um, you know, those very critical questions in life that every human being at one point or another will be asking themselves, Elizabeth is asking on our website, I'm bummed out in life. What is it all for? Uh, Growing up, getting a job, getting married, having sex, getting pregnant, eating, sleeping, growing fat, getting old, dying. I'm born again. I'm still bored and tired of this world. What is the meaning of this life? Why did God put us here in the first place? Am I ready to give up? Thanks. Uh, What a great question. And um, I don't know what's going on in your life, but uh, I hope you're listening in still. And so, uh, Scott, how, how would you respond to Elizabeth? Well, uh, I would say, Elizabeth, that uh, what you're experiencing is something that a lot of people go through, Uh, not just people in this world, but people that have a relationship with God. If you want a blow-by-blow description of someone that is kind of walking, who has walked down the same path that you're describing, I highly recommend you read the book of Ecclesiastes. Here you see a guy by the name of King Solomon who basically says, look, when it comes to wealth, when it comes to wisdom, when it comes to success uh, in uh, in government, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. You know, I've done it all. Uh, And this is the conclusion of it. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything is like chasing the wind. Hmm. And Solomon will go out of his way to quote things like you've said, you know, again, uh, the sun rises, it also sets, and, uh, you know, nothing changes. There, who can say there's anything new under the sun? Uh, you know, you read through what S- Solomon had to say, and this uh, pattern of boredom comes up from it all. Uh, you know, it's been said that the wealthy have one advantage over the poor, or I should say the poor have uh, one advantage over the wealthy, uh, in that the poor still believe that money can solve their problems. But once you've got everything, 
you know, and we see this with our celebrities and we see these people that can afford, you know, the yacht in Monaco and, and you know, there are 15 different houses and their home in Tuscany and, and all of this other stuff. And they have all the fame and adulation you could ever want. And yet they're still empty. They're still mm -hmm. bored. They're still searching. Um, you know, it's very interesting how Solomon says, uh, speaks about uh, there's nothing new under the sun, S-U-N. And one of the most interesting things I would say to you, Elizabeth, about the book of Ecclesiastes is that that is the perspective that Solomon took. Even though he was a guy who at the very beginning of his life, uh, you know, the beloved son of uh, King David and Bathsheba, uh, the guy who was anointed to be the next king of Israel, his life was even prophesied by God as the one who would come and build the temple. Uh, David, having shed blood, couldn't do it, but his son... He was going to be called peaceful, and uh, he would build the, uh, the temple of the Lord. Uh, this guy started out great, so great that we were told that the Queen of Sheba uh, traveled over uh, land and sea to be able to witness uh, the wisdom of Solomon. And she said, I'd heard about uh, your wisdom, and, uh, and, and yet I hadn't uh, seen the half of it. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, blessed are all those hmm. who are under uh, your, your care and your concern. So Solomon starts out great, but then we are told in uh, the, uh, the book of 1 Kings chapter 9 that Solomon loved many foreign wives, and they turned his heart away from God. Uh, a guy that was so used by God that we have a huge book in the Old Testament that is devoted to the things that God showed him about life. We call it Proverbs. I mean, inspired by God, powerful, applicable. This guy turned away from the Lord. He tried to find satisfaction and happiness under the S-U-N instead of the S-O-N. And as a result of that, uh, you know, he just came to the end of his life and said, uh, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity, it's all worthless, it's all chasing the wind. But then at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he kind of comes to his senses and he starts to realize that they, you know, fear God and keep his commandments for such is the entire duty of man. Mm. And God will call into account everything that we've done, whether good or bad. And so fortunately at the end of his life, he came too spiritually, but it was a long, lonely process. Chuck Swindoll, the great uh, Bible teacher, has a great book on uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. He calls it the lonely wine of the top dog. <laughs> and uh, and that's really what it's all about. There's mm. nothing more empty, there's nothing more lonely than trying to manage our lives and make them full and meaningful, apart mm. from the fact that we were created for a relationship with God. In fact, Jesus in John 17 and verse 3 said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the true and living God, and Jesus Christ, the one that you've sent. Now, if that's what eternal life's all about, Elizabeth, let me tell you something. Uh, that's what temporal life is all about. In a sense, it's a warm-up for the fulfillment of all of that. And if we somehow get distracted and start saying, well, what is life all about? Is it just living for the weekend? How many games of golf can I play? How many ball games can I go to? How many times can I go shopping? How many trips can I take? Uh, we, we know people who are manic about these kind of things, and yet they never find satisfaction. Well, Jesus in John chapter 4 uh, put it this way, the one who drinks of this water will thirst again, but the one who drinks of the water I shall give him shall find within himself a well 
flowing up to everlasting mm -hmm. life. Now, here's where the secret of life comes in. You know, I've been around some very successful people in my life. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen these people who have everything uh, that, that were friends of my family. One time, one of these guys told me, he was like at the top of his profession, he just said, I don't even have friends. I just have people who want something from me. And, and to everybody else's lights, they would look at him and say, well, this guy's got it all. I remember before I got saved, Elizabeth, uh, you know, walking up the cul-de-sac where I grew up. I grew up in the, 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 the tough hood of Las Posas Estates in California. My backyard was the 13th green of the golf course, you know. Wow. But I remember being bussed at that time to a school uh, in another city where the majority of people who went to my school were the sons and daughters of migrant farm workers. And they all believed that if they just worked their tails off and got a scholarship, if they became white collar people, then they would finally find happiness. Well, I used to get dropped off on my bus and walk up the street and I'd look and I'd go, well, that guy beats his wife. This guy over here is an alcoholic. This guy over here is working on his fifth marriage. And there I was at this place where all of my classmates wanted to get, but there was no happiness. There was no fulfillment. And that was really scary to me as a non-believer because I thought, what is it all? What's the point? These people have made it, but they've got nothing. They spend all their time throwing back pills and booze to try to keep themselves numb all the time. Mm. What's the point? Well, here's the point. Uh, you know, there's a famous quote uh, from uh, an early church philosopher who said this, you have made us for thyself, O God, and the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in thee. May I suggest to you, Elizabeth, that even though you're a born-again Christian, churchgoer, spiritual resume, a lot of people can have that, but not have that connection with Jesus because they don't seek it. They just assume that doing things and going through these motions or believing certain church statements about a relationship with God is enough. But what God does is sometimes he will allow us to get antsy. Sometimes he will allow that, that emptiness within us to get stirred up because he's saying there's more to life than what you're experiencing. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. They might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, I can just share with you my own experience, my own testimony, and it's this. When I wake up in the morning and I realize that this is the day that the Lord's made, and I realize that God is the true and living God, and that through the infilling power of his spirit, which I ask for daily, even many times a day, I can walk in fellowship with him. And at the end of the day, I can know the Lord better than when I started. And this same God wants to work in and through my life to not just make people's lives better in some way, lighten their loads in some way here in the horizontal, but what I do matters forever. Famous line from the movie Gladiator, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. And when you begin to realize that, when you begin to realize that there is a true and living God who stands with his arms outstretched saying, come to me, you know, all your weary and heavy laden, which sounds like how you're describing, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Well, when Jesus was talking about yokes, he was talking about the crossbar that oxen would pull. 
And uh, each of these crossbars that an oxen would pull was carefully crafted to fit the musculature, the structure of a particular ox. If you try to put someone else's uh, uh, yoke on uh, an ox that didn't belong to them, it would chafe the shoulders of the ox. It would be worthless for pulling from that time onward. But God has a specific and special yoke for you. It's easy. In other words, it's perfect and it's light. It's not something that crushes us and drains all the joy out of life. It's something that causes us to be fulfilled. Mm. And it's all there for the asking. You know, uh, famous scripture, Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. But it doesn't stop there. God goes on to say, then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will answer you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. May I suggest to you, Elizabeth, that it's that seeking of the Lord, which sounds to me like the work that he's doing in your life, or you wouldn't even be raising that question for us on the program, right? But seeking the Lord, the Lord says that you're going to find him, and with him, you're going to find everything else. But if you focus on everything else and then think the Lord is going to get thrown in on top of all that, it's going to ultimately be empty for you. So start by just simply saying, Lord, reveal yourself to me today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cause me to look at your word, the Bible, not as something that was written thousands of years ago and is incomprehensible, but as your love letter to me. Teach me to walk hand in hand with you today, Jesus. Make that your goal. And I think you're going to find your life is going to turn around radically. At least that's been true for me. Well said. And thank you, Elizabeth, for asking such an important question that we should all always be asking ourselves and making sure that we're walking in line with uh, what God has for our lives. Uh, a similar question that uh, I think ER or Ian, why did God create me? A little bit broader, more generalized way of putting it, but it's a similar question. Uh, why did God put any one of us, uh, humanity, um, why did God create us? How would you respond to that? Well, like you said in that quote from Augustine, that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and the heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. If I'm, you know, speaking to someone I know or someone specific and they're asking, why am I here? I'd say, stick to what he has you doing at this point, and if you need further pictures, you'll find out in the long run. But the idea of, I guess, the purposes of God, it wasn't because he was bored. It wasn't just because that's the thing that gods do, and it wasn't because, oh, well, you know, here's there's a, a kind of universe that can only work if you're in it. He didn't need to create us. He didn't uh, have to create us, and he wasn't obligated to create us, he wanted to. And so if we work with what's already true in our minds and what's been revealed to us, then we can kind of build out from what's already true and try and fit what's already in front of us with that. We're not going to know all the details. We're not going to uh, obviously come to bad conclusions that are in contradiction to the facts. If God put us here to suffer, well, that doesn't fit what we know about God. Okay, God put us here to endure suffering. You're not wrong, but there is a reason for that kind of opposition. God made us to overcome suffering. Not everyone does that. Okay, so what's actually true then? 
God made us. Let's just start with Genesis 1-1, (laughs) that he did something intentionally. God came to this world and redeemed us through his death and his resurrection. That shows investment and personal sacrifice in order to see that secured, so that shows value. If he made us, and if he did so intentionally, and placed a set of value on us that went as far as the life of his own son, then the question remains, where are the specifics? Did God create me to be, for instance, a pastor? Well, I could say that until it's not true. I could get thrown in prison for my faith and have uh, no ability to perform pastorly duties, and that would, of course, devastate me. I'm not fulfilling the purpose for which I was created. So I don't want to make assumptions or presumptions and say, God, you owe me this kind of life because I believe you made me for this reason. Well, you're not given that information. What you are given is, of course, what's told to us in Scripture, that there was a start, that you are a part of that process, and that there was a value placed on you. So if we were created with a sense of value, with a sense of purpose, and with an ultimate destination of reconciliation to him, I'd say the best answer is to cultivate and prepare for that ultimate restoration, to be as much like Christ in this life as you can, to lean into God's scalpels we talked about yesterday, to see that his work in you is completed, and of course to be a vessel as much for his mercy as he is of as you are of his power on a daily basis. If you try to look in broader scopes, your eyes will hurt. If you try to narrow down, you'll miss the big picture. So just be faithful with what you have today, work with the facts, not with assumptions, and I think you won't get distracted with the nuances of things that we just can't and shouldn't know. Yeah, I would agree. Thanks for the question. Uh, <clears throat> Mike Hill wants to know, how do we study the Bible? I find it I find I read it, but there seems to be no purpose. It's just random reading. I try to connect it with Christ through it, but I struggle with how to study it, not just read. Uh, thanks. Well, it's like the old saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll always hit it. So if you go to the Bible with the desire of apprehending the fact words are on paper, you're going to get that out of it. If, on the other hand, you say, start a book and you want to know what this book is about, who wrote it, why do I trust, why do I believe in it, then you're going to have more purpose than just the capacity to distinguish English or whatever language you're reading, letters. And that's usually what I do, is saying, okay, broad overview of the book, here are the purposes for which it was written, this is the kind of person, this is the environment, can take advantage of study tools, and I go, okay, my goal today is, just maybe even starting in the first verse, let's let's uh, just jump into, say, a minor prophet, for example. We jump, uh, well, why not, go to the book of Jeremiah, because that's where I happen to open here, and I go to chapter one, and we're given a little bit of information about him. It says, the words of Jeremiah, I know where the title came from, it was written by him, the son of Hilkiah, that might require some further reading. I wonder who this individual is. Of the priests, that was a short journey, <laughs> who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Now, what's the land of Benjamin? Well, assuming uh, this part of the Bible has words in it too. If you read the book of Joshua, that was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, specifically ones adjacent to the southern tribes of Israel. And if you read 1 Kings, you'd also know they were the ones that stuck around when everyone else turned tail and ran away from Judah. So they're still in the land that hasn't gone into exile. See also for, uh, 2 Kings. 
to whom the word of the Lord. Okay, genre is established. We got prophecy here. This isn't poetry. This isn't his opinions. This isn't necessarily even a historical record of what Jeremiah was going through. That's there. Right. But it's what? The words of the Lord. God's perspective on these things through Jeremiah that came in the days, historical context, of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. I can go right to 2 Kings and find out when he was speaking, and it would turn out to be within a couple decades of when the Babylonians would come in and wreck house. And we just finished two verses. Now we can also note it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the 11th year, king Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now, if I intended that as my Bible reading, then I learned 10 things and it was because I didn't just intend on getting through those two verses or covering a wide section of Scripture. I actually had the intent and purpose of understanding it, and that was what? The book of Jeremiah are the words of Jeremiah. This was spoken by a historical figure. His father is also mentioned as a priest, so we know he's from the tribe of Levi, who he was associated with godly things, and also noting how his parents, by the way, responded to some of his messages shown they weren't spiritual examples, that Jeremiah was a rebel for the right reasons, if you want to put it that way. Where they were in the land of Benjamin, as he was speaking during the time of Josiah and Zedekiah, which if you know the times of these kings, not godly times, which puts a lot of context into why he was facing so much persecution for pointing out the obvious to them. They didn't want to hear the truth. Now, if I want to apply that to my life, I can go to chapters two and four and note, man, it's kind of like the United States, isn't it? In a time and a day when basically the modern audiences that he was speaking to want nothing to hear of truth unless it's what they've already decided is true, that any message longer than two seconds that doesn't automatically make them feel good is going to be cast out, a man who was rejected by his family, a man who even thought, and this is what you'll find later reading in the Bible, that God tricked him into doing something that he didn't want to do. And having to apologize and recognize that God, A, in the first chapter, if you want to read it, made no promises of anything except the fact they're not going to listen. Also to Isaiah, also to Ezekiel, and others. But here's the point. If you go to a passage with a goal in mind, may require you to do a little reading before the reading, but reading and understanding aren't the same thing. I read 10 chapters today. What did you get out of it? I read 10 chapters today. Yeah, uh, well, what did you learn about God in the process? Well, you know, you know, (laughs) he loves me, and, (laughs) you know, you just fake it. Studying the Bible involves not just reading, but understanding. Those two are two different things. If you want to do more reading, if you want to recommend resources, make sure that one factor is put in the mix, purpose, and I think you'll do just fine. Yeah, and, and, you know, the other thing I would uh, recommend is, uh, and boy, I wish these had been around when I first became a Christian, is get a hold of a good study Bible. A great uh, way to get your feet wet would be the Word for Today study Bible, which includes Pastor Chuck's uh, explanatory notes, which are very applicable, can give you like the general flow of what book you're reading in and what's being said and some some insights there. But uh, really good as far as the basics go. You want to step it up a notch. Uh, There is a... uh, a study Bible called the Nelson New King James Version Study Bible. It was put together by Thomas Nelson Publishers. Uh, Dr. Earl Rodmacher, Western Conservative Theological Seminary, was the general editor, had the 
blessing of meeting Dr. Rodmacher before he uh, passed away. Amazing scholar and amazing man of God. Uh, that one will take you quite a bit deeper. Um, and it will uh, basically have explanatory notes for quite a few uh, mm. passages that you're, you're going through. Now, do I agree with all the explanatory note takes in it? No, but it can get you thinking and it can get you to a place where you can see where Scripture does interpret Scripture and so on. So I think uh, getting a hold of some of these tools like that, um, you know, another thing, great thing to do would be uh, just to, what, what did they used to call it? Jump on that Bible bus, my beloved. Uh, go go through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. Get that overview of what the Word of God is all about. You know, find a verse-by-verse -verse, uh, Bible teacher mm. that uh, really resonates with you, that, that speaks to the issues of your heart. And if you're reading a certain section of Scripture, well, you can go online and, uh, you know, listen to them. Another great resource I'd highly recommend is uh, Dave Guzik's Enduring Word Bible Commentary. It's right online. Uh, just go to EnduringWord.com, and uh, you can look up the particular book of the Bible you're reading. Dave just does a great job of giving you the flow of what's going on there, some great comments from commentators and so on, uh, explaining some of the terminology and so forth. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, uh, it kind of comes down to that principle. God said, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. If we just sort of kind of dabble and kind of dilettante and, well, I hope something falls out of the sky and hits me on the head, chances are we're going to miss it. I always tell people, you know, if you really want to get the most out of church, spend five minutes praying before you get there. Mm. Just say, Lord, speak to me today. I come here with anticipation to meet with you. Do the same thing when you open the Bible. Mm. Do the same thing when you pray. The same thing when you gather with God's people, yeah. and God's going to blow your mind. Jesus prayed for the disciples that they would know the truth, and he said, thy word is truth. Exactly. Mm. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend, and thank both of you for taking the time to do this. We'll Love see it. you all on Monday. God bless you. God bless you. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.